I was intrigued by the assignment that Michael gave me with these. Uh, I usually turn down assigned topics, but I, I like the concept of it. I think there is much to be learned from studying these men. One of the things that we learn as we go through there is they were just men with a lot of the same personality flaws that we have. Uh, And that is encouraging to me because what that means is then is there's hope for me to get something right. The difference between these apostles and pretty much everyone else is that along with their human foibles, they also had great courage and they had great faith and they clung very tightly to Jesus and that enabled them to make the changes they made. These just men through Jesus changed the world. It has never been the same since. So I would like for us to look at at the things that we see from these guys and, and study from them and learn their must, what they did wrong, what they did right, how their faith grew. And if we get no other message, let's get the, the message of hope for us. As a historical perspective, John wrote five books, the Gospel of John, John 1, 2, and 3, and then the book of Revelation. There are some that of the modern scholars that would contend this, but I, I disagree with them, and I'm, but I'm not going to go into great depth about that part of it. But he was an author. We first see him uh, introduced in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 18. This is Jesus that is speaking of here that is is going on and says, And going on from there, he saw another two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. So John and his brother James were fishermen. They made their livelihood working with their hands. They were uneducated. And we can find verses later that will say that. So they weren't great scholars of any kind. They were just men that saw something in Jesus that some others didn't see. And when he motioned for them and he told them to follow him, they did. John, I guess you could say, is in... I don't know a better way to describe it. He was part of an inner circle with Jesus along with Peter and James. By that I mean that so much of the time that when you see Jesus with just a limited amount of apostles there with him, it was Peter and James and John that was with him. He was there at the Mount of Transfiguration that we read about in Matthew chapter 17. He progressed, and we're going to go in depth here in a minute in some of the changes that we see made in John. But just as a laying out of the history, 
his importance with the twelve grew as he matured. He went from being that fisherman and that brass person to a uh, a person of importance. In Galatians chapter two, verse nine, it says, "And knowing the grace given to me, James and Cephas and John." who seemed to be pillars and give right hands of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we go to the nations, but they go to the circumcision. Paul recognized something in John and the others that was with him is how they were pillars of the church there. So he had started to grow in preeminence. Uh, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, And the apostles in Jerusalem Hearing that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. He had raised enough in stature by this point in time that they had this situation they were going out to check, so they sent Peter and John. Again, he had grown in preeminence. Uh, at the end of his, toward the end of his life, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. It was there that he received from God the visions that became the book of Revelation. Now some specific and key things we see. We see how he started from his uh, humble beginning to his majestic end. Let's check some of the key points in between. The Apostle John and his brother James were called by Jesus the sons of thunder. And if we look at that, we find a key to John's personality. Both of the brothers were characterized by zeal, passion, ambition. But in his early days, John often acted rashly, impetuously, often without thinking. I know the feeling. It seems to be a gift that oftentimes young men have and sometimes older men have. But it's a, it's a process that I can admit to going through as a younger man having to learn to modify certain behaviors and to not be quite as bold and outspoken as I was in my younger days. And that's what he had to do as well. We see him in Mark. Chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out demons in your name, and he does not follow us. And we forbade him, because he did not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for there is no one who shall do a work of power in my name, who can lightly speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us, and whoso... Whoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. John, was, along with being very bold, was very sure of himself. Well, those guys aren't doing what we're doing, and they're not traveling with us, so they can't be right. Again, that's not an uncommon trait, uh, but Jesus basically told him, John, calm down. Just because they're not doing what you're doing does not make them wrong. That is a lesson he had to learn. 
As we go on and see further on in verse, or chapter 9, verse 51, And it happened in the fulfilling of the days of his taking up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was going toward Jerusalem. And seeing his disciples, James and John said, Lord, do you desire that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know of what spirit you are. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives but to save. And they went to another village. In this particular instant, John was not very happy because of the way they reacted to Jesus, and he was rather vengeful in his thoughts. Uh, in his brashness and his boldness, he thought it would be good that they just destroy him since they didn't live, listen to Jesus. They didn't turn their ba- they turned their backs on Jesus rather, and so he wanted nothing more to do with them. He wanted them dead. That was the impetuousness of his youth. John's zeal for Jesus was also, though, influenced by his natural ambitions. As was seen in his request that his mother made, that he and his brother be seated on Jesus' right and left hands in the kingdom, an incident actually caused a temporary rift between the brothers and the other disciples. In Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's children came to him with their sons, worshiping and desiring a certain thing from him. And he said to her, What do you desire? And she said to him, Grant that these my two sons may sit on in your kingdom, the one on your right hand and the other on the left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. And he said to them, You shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant concerning the two brothers. One of the things that I find interesting here on him is once once again he and his brother they were bold and impetuous and brash and they didn't even have a full understanding of what was going on. And that was Jesus's response to them is that they didn't know what they were asking for because they didn't truly understand yet what his message was to them. They were going to learn But they were full of bold, they just weren't full of answers. But that was then again another characteristic of John that he had to overcome in his later days. Despite the youthful expressions of their misdirected passions, John aged well. He began to understand the need for humility. If one desired to be great, they must first be humble. You know, John is the 
only gospel that records Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And that is in John 13, 12 through 16. It says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had reclined again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me the teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am. If then I, the Lord, and the teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, neither is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Jesus' act there of servanthood evidently made a great impression on John. Uh, partially believe that since he is the only one that included that in there. But also as you read his writings in later years and listen to him in his conversation in those letters, uh, you can see and hear the attitude of humility and the desire to be a servant to others and the instructions for all to be servants. So evidently this made quite an impression on him. By the time of the crucifixion, and am I keeping up here? Have I not even been changing this thing as I went? I don't know what I was hitting, but it wasn't the right thing. Next time, wave at me, Michael. By the time of the crucifixion, Jesus had enough confidence in this young man that he turned the care of his mother over to him. In John 19, starting in verse 25, And his mother stood by the cross of Jesus, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, then when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took, him into his, took her into his own home. So now we have a John that has developed to the point in his life that Jesus is willing to entrust his mother to him. She's now your mother. Take care of her. John's rash request for a special honor in the kingdom has now given way to compassion and humility that is going to characterize his ministry through his later life. Now, although he remained courageous and bold, his ambition was balanced by the humility that he learned at Jesus' feet. Now, this willingness to serve others and to suffer for the sake of the gospel probably helped enable him to bear his final imprisonment at Patmos. In the opening of the book of Revelation, he referred to himself as your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus I go from not hitting it enough to hitting it too many. 
Revelation 1 and 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the affliction and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, who was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John had gone from a young, bold, brash, abrasive, young, uneducated fisherman to the one God chose to speak to, to have him write this important book. It's quite a change over the period of his life. He had learned to look beyond the sufferings on this earth to the glory that he was waiting to, to enjoy in the life to come. We can tell from his writings that John was devoted to the proclamation of truth. I'm not sure anyone in Scripture except for Jesus had more to say about the concept of the truth. He expressed his joy in proclaiming the truth to others and then watching them walk in that truth. I think your pointer's haunted. I really do. It can't be me. In third and third John verse four, I have no greater joy than these things to hear that my children walk in the truth. He's come a long way. He's come from Lord, I want to sit on the right on your right hand to I have no greater joy than to see you walk in the truth. It was no longer about John. It was about others. It was about leading others to Christ and it was about keeping them there once they got there. He had changed his focus completely. His strongest condemnation now was for those that perverted the truth and led others astray. Especially if they claimed to be believers. In 1 John 2 and 4. He who says, I have known him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I hadn't thought about this little story here in a lot of years, and it just suddenly hit me. I'll share it with you. I believe it fits. Uh, a lady in the church that I grew up at in Hastings, Oklahoma, when I was a young man, in a lot of ways I was not unlike John, and I was brash and bold and loud and abrasive and unforgiving. And she told me, Phil, you're like a cutting torch. If you needed to carry, if you needed to cut a car body in half, it's a great tool to have. If you're weeding flowers, it can be disastrous. I told Jeremy Corkle this story a couple of years later. He said, well, that's not completely accurate. You put a fine enough point on that cutting torch and you can weed flowers. 
I thought of that just then, reading that verse, because that's what John had done. He had gone from being a cutting torch that was only good for massive destruction to being able to weed flowers. He was still bold here in this verse. He was still right there confronting them with it. When we read that, he says, I have known him and... Excuse me, he who says, I have known him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's rather brash. That's rather bold. And sometimes, done correctly, it's needed. John had learned how to do that. So he really has transformed himself. His passion for truth fueled his concern for his sheep. The ones he was worried about that might be deceived by false teachers. His expressions concerning that takes up much of 1 John. He had no qualms about identifying as false prophets and antichrist those who tried to pervert the truth. Even to the point of proclaiming them to be demonic in nature. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, and just as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have risen up from which we know that that it is the last hour. In verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning those leading you astray. He's overseeing his flock. He is warning them, cautioning them. And he teaches them how to walk with Christ to avoid these that would lead them astray. He went from being known as the son of thunder to the apostle of love. That was a great transition. His second epistle is filled with expressions of his deep love for those that he cared for. He addresses this epistle to a group of believers whom I love in the truth. He exhorts them to love one another by walking in obedience to Jesus' command. In 2 John 1 and 1, The elder of the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth. In verses 5 and 6, And now I beseech you, lady, not as those I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have from the beginning, that that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. John's life is a reminder to us, and there are many lessons that can be learned that we can apply to ourselves. We can use his admonition to teach us how we can do better, and we can use his encouragement to show us that we can do great things, great things through Jesus. Even his just men or just women. The same as he did. 
some of those lessons. First, zeal for the truth must always be balanced with a love for the people. Without it, zeal can turn into harshness and judgmentalism. Conversely, abundant love that lacks the ability to discern truth from error can just become nothing more than sentimentality. Let's think about John and the incidents at the first and where he wound up and his wanting to rain fire down on people who did not honor Jesus as he thought Jesus should be honored. Who wanted to stop men from casting out demons because they weren't walking with him and Jesus. That's unchecked zeal. He went from there to becoming the apostle of love. All of those things that he wrote. His belief for the truth. His passion for the truth. His willingness to endure all for the truth. John learned as he matured that if we speak the truth and love we and those that we touch, as it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 15, will in all things grow up to him who is the head, even Christ. Second, that what I would like to bring out is that confidence and boldness untempered by compassion and grace can quickly turn to pride and smugness. Confidence is a wonderful virtue. But without humility, it can become self-confident, which can lead to boasting and an attitude of exclusiveness. When that happens, our testimony for Christ of the grace God becomes tainted. People are going to have a lot harder time listening to us. They're going to see in us exactly the kind of person that they have no desire to be. If we will follow John's example, if we are to be effective witnesses for Christ, Our demeanor should be one that reflects a passion for the truth, a compassion for people, a steadfast desire to serve and to represent our Lord by reflecting His humility and grace. In short, we have to learn the same lesson that John learned. It's not about us. It's about Him. And if we will have the courage that we can then boldly, in love, stand up and proclaim the love of God and the gospel of Christ, we can be successful, even just men and just women. Never sell yourself short. Learn that lesson from John. As long as you remember that that not selling yourself short means 
You can be successful because you walk with Christ. Because I would caution you that if you are of the mindset, I cannot do this, I am not strong enough, I am not smart enough, I am too shy, I am too bold, I am too whatever it is, I would tell you that you are correct in everything you just said. You are. Just remember that when John became successful, it was after he realized it wasn't about him. Don't worry about what you are. Worry about what you can become through Christ. And you will be successful. Will you change the world? Probably not. But you can sure change your little part of it. And after all, that's all we're asked to do anyway. And those are my thoughts on John this morning. If you are here and you are not a child of God, you have opportunity to do that. If you have never been baptized, never engaged in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, I'm assuming by the, behind these doors behind me is a baptistry. If not, we can figure something out. I would urge you, Jesus is right now asking you to follow him the same that he did, John. Get off your boat and follow him. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, and for whatever reasons, you would ask the prayers, whether it be a sin in your life that you need help with, whether it is strength that you need, encouragement. The congregation here would love to pray with you and for you. If you would come and make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that has been selected. <laughs>